Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and this is episode 299, just one week away, less than a week away, actually, from episode 300. But you'll be hearing more about what that episode will entail later on in the show. Also coming up later on in the show, you'll be hearing my conversation with actress Victoria Gordon about her new web series, Pilot Season, which has a very unique take on it due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, but you'll hear more about that later on in the show. But first, I wanted to talk about a topic that I've actually been really excited to discuss uh, for the last couple of weeks, and that would be a celebration of black film in honor of Black History Month. I thought it would be fun to like really learn more about the history of black film and what exactly makes a film a black film, if you will. Uh, there's actually a, a really good article, not really article, I should say, but uh, a special issue of Entertainment Weekly, which for those who are watching the video version, you can see right here. And I found this uh, in Publix a couple of weeks ago. And I have to give a shout out to uh, my friend Adam Waldron, who you know from the Unicorn Wranglers and has been on this uh, show uh, on numerous occasions. But we were in Publix one day and we so happened to see that, you know, magazine hanging up next to the, the checkout that we were at. And he said, you know, that would be a really good topic for your podcast. And as I was reading the article, it dove into kind of the history of African-Americans in the film industry. And I was shocked to learn that you know, the, the first really, I'd say, black films were called race films. Uh, dating back as far as 1912. And then, you know, over 100 years later, we have movies like Black Panther, uh, Get Out, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, which I'll be talking about that a little more in depth uh, as this conversation progresses. But it was a really fascinating piece of of uh, reading. And I would highly recommend that you check it out. If, if the magazine is still available uh, in stores, I would definitely get it. If not, I'm sure there's a digital version that you can find somewhere. It, it's, it dives pretty deep into the history and even has you know, the different genres of films separated. Like you, there's a horror section, there's a superhero section, there's drama, so on and so forth. It's a really, really good magazine. I would highly recommend that you read it. But it kind of starts off by asking the interesting question, what makes a film a black film and it answered uh really by this it says uh it features black actors and tells stories intended for black audiences that's kind of the general definition that the entertainment weekly article gives and i do agree with that because that's what i initially think of when i think of you know someone mentions you know film starring african americans i think of ones that tell the history and some of the culture and things that they had to go through. And some of the most powerful stories I've seen depicted on screen have been stories from African-American filmmakers. And most of them have to do with real life issues that happen. You know, I mean, we know about the, you know, the social justice um, stories that have been dominating the news really over in the over the last year with all the protests and everything but really a lot of that's been going on for for years 
It's just now with social media and everyone essentially having a camera on their phone, it's much more easily seen, if that makes sense. So my personal definition of it, and again, this is my personal one, you, you know, I would love to hear uh, your thoughts, you the viewers and the listeners, I would love to hear your thoughts uh, on this subject as well. But I agree with that definition. But I also think it's a little more broad because there are some films, you know, that are great comedies like Beverly Hills Cop or Friday that are funny and are good movies, but they don't really focus on the story of the history of African-American culture. But I would still put them in that same category. But um, it kind of got me thinking about some movies that I haven't had the chance to see. And I've got to give a shout out to my girlfriend, Samantha, for suggesting this. We actually watched this last night as I'm recording this show. Um, we watched The Help, or she's already, she'd already seen it, but I had never seen it before. And I knew that it had gotten a lot of attention from the Oscars. And after finally seeing it, rightfully so, because it was one of the most moving films that I've seen in quite a while. Like, it just tells such a powerful story. And basically if no one's ever seen it, it's about this aspiring author. Uh, it takes place during the 1960s. It's about an aspiring author who decides to write a book detailing uh, the points of view of African-American maids who work in the South. And this story takes place in Jackson, Mississippi. So you're learning all these backstories of these African-American maids, as well as current things that are happening. And you really get to see the hardships that they go through on a daily basis. And it really kind of makes you ashamed to think that, you know, me speaking as a Caucasian male, how white people treated black people back then. It's really eye-opening and really kind of shameful and disgusting to see, if I'm being completely honest. And I, I'm not one to deny history because I think if you completely ignore it, then you will be doomed to repeat the same mistakes. So while it can be uncomfortable to see sometimes, I think it can be very eye-opening and be a reminder of, you know, the progression that we've had now compared to then. And it's still not great in, in a lot of places, but I, I do like to think that things are trending in, in the right direction. At least I hope they are. But the acting in this film was absolutely incredible. Uh, Viola Davis, who plays uh, Abilene, and Octavia Spencer, who plays Minnie. The story is really told through these two characters. And I, I yeah, Emma Stone is in the film. She plays uh, Skeeter, the aspiring author. I don't really consider the movie to be her story. I consider it to be Abilene and Minnie's story because it's their experience. It's, it's their life. Skeeter's just the one who is physically putting pen to paper and getting the story out there. But it's not her story. It's the maid's story. And there, there's some, there's some tear-jerking moments that happen in that movie. If you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend you watch it. It's on Netflix, so definitely check that out. Another film that I wanted to talk about is uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, which I watched. I actually finished watching this morning. It was co-written and directed by Shaka King, and tells the story of Bill O'Neill, who infiltrated the Chicago chapter of the Black Panther Party 
um, as an informant for the FBI. And again, there's the, the acting and just the effort that these actors put into playing these roles. And it's, I feel like it's a bit of a different pressure maybe in a way because you're playing real life people. You're not playing a character that someone made up, you know, in a screenplay or in a writer's room. You're playing someone who had significant impact in culture. And the, the movie primarily is about uh, Fred Hampton and his chapter of the Black Panther Party. And I actually learned a bit about the Black Panther Party because um, I took a online feminist course. You know, I've been trying to learn about different aspects of, again, culture and different movements and things, because I think, you know, we hear a lot about it in the news, but it's different to actually know what is going on. So I learned a little bit about the history of the Black Panther Party uh, through doing that course and then seeing it in this film, you know, kind of put that into into context. But again, it's another really well done movie. And uh, I believe I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing the actor's name wrong, but Daniel Kaluuya, who played Fred Hampton, was awesome. He was really, really good. And during the credits, they show speeches that the real life Fred Hampton gave and then seeing them played in the film by Daniel Kaluuya was incredible. Like the effort he put in, like it felt like he was Fred Hampton. And again, seeing the brutality that happened with with these people by police officers and it, it just it. It's really eye-opening, and that's my biggest takeaway from this entire discussion is I would watch some of these movies like The Help, like Judas and the Black Messiah, because it will give you a new appreciation for what you have, because, you know, you, chances are you didn't go through this, what, what they did. So I, I would recommend watching it because it gives you some new perspective. But I, I really liked Judas and the Black Messiah. I'm usually hit or miss with biopics, but I definitely think this is one of the better ones because it didn't really feel like a biopic. You know, yeah, Fred Hampton and Bill O'Neill were the central characters, but it didn't, it didn't feel like your formulaic cookie-cutter biopic, if that makes sense. But some other ones that I would throw out there as well that I would recommend you checking out uh, Get Out, which I, I'm not really a horror fan, but I enjoyed that movie quite a bit. It actually uh, really broke tradition of how African-American characters are handled in horror films. So I'll definitely check that out, uh, directed by Jordan Peele. Uh, I can't say enough good things about Chadwick Boseman and his performances in both Black Panther and 42. I haven't seen Get On Up yet, so I can't comment on that, but you know, Black Panther is not just a great superhero movie, but it's a great movie because you get to immerse yourself in seeing Wakanda being brought to life. And it was just such a different, a different avenue in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I thought, again, all the characters were very well cast. I love Michael B. Jordan's character. I think he's one of the three best Marvel villains in the history of the MCU. And of course, you know, Chadwick Boseman was great as T'Challa. As but um, also 42, the Jackie Robinson story was then. And there's for those who have seen it, there's a sequence in the movie in which a certain racial word is thrown around a lot. 
and it was really uncomfortable if I'm being honest the first time I watched it but it's a very important story and I'm glad it was told because Jackie Robinson did so many things to you know, break down the color barrier in sports you, know, you look at him and what Hank Aaron did are just very very inspirational stories and I thought 42 was told really well I don't think there's actually been a Hank Aaron biopic I know there was a documentary that was done about him a while back but as far as the 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 drama biopic like a film about Hank Aaron's life I don't know if that's been done yet if not then someone needs to to get on that because I think that would be a incredible story um, I mentioned some comedies uh, Friday really funny movie Beverly Hills Cop and Coming to America and then uh, a couple of animated ones that I'll give some love to uh, most recently Soul that came out uh, late last year on Disney Plus and Princess and the Frog which you I mentioned culture. You get to see the the New Orleans culture and you know how prevalent African Americans are in that culture. It's it's really fun. It was really fun to go back and um, you know think of some of these like the lighter films and then um, watching The Help and Judas and the Black Messiah. As far as being really eye opening and appreciating what you have, and I, I think everyone should make an effort to learn about cultures that are not your own. Because you don't understand them until you learn their backstory and the experiences. You, yeah, you may not have lived those experiences, but you can still have empathy where it's needed. And I think, you know, it's like that saying, knowledge is power. I think having knowledge about different cultures is, is very important. So that, that was my biggest takeaway with reading the Entertainment Weekly article and watching these movies. It has really given me a new appreciation for uh, black film. But something else that I did do on Facebook is I asked you guys, what are some of your favorite black films, whether it's African-American culture stories or just films that happen to star African-American actors or actresses? So we'll start off with Wade Vatican. He listed Boys in the Hood, The Wood, and Do the Right Thing. Uh, Joe Miller, who is also my aunt, in no certain order, Hidden Figures, the Color Purple, Drumline, Coming to America, and Waiting to Exhale. Carlos Longoria, excuse me, Beverly Hills Cop, Do the Right Thing, Set It Off, Baby Boy, and Into the Spider-Verse. I can't say enough good things about Into the Spider-Verse. To me, best Spider-Man movie that's ever been done. It's better than any of the live-action movies. I, I love Into the Spider-Verse. David Sunday, Hidden Figures, Coming to America, Just Mercy, and Bad Boys. Brandon Rutledge, Tuskegee Airmen, Nutty Professor, Coming to America, War Room, and Unconditional. Next up, we have Jonathan McIntosh, Black Panther, Shaft. I haven't seen any of the original Richard Roundtree Shaft films, but I did really like the Samuel L. Jackson film that came out in 2000. Amistad, I'm Gonna Get You Sucka and Glory. Elysia Marie, A Raisin in the Sun, starring Sidney Poitier, another incredible actor. Remember the Titans? That's another good one. I love Denzel Washington. Sister Act 1 and 2. Cinderella starring Brandy and Whitney Houston. The Book of Eli. The Defiant Ones. And Duel at Diablo also starring Sidney Poitier. And then uh, Samantha Owens, of course, mentioned uh, The Help, Black Panther, and Get Out. So that was, um, those are some of my favorite 
African American films. I'd love to hear you know more lists from you guys. Feel free to comment uh, on the YouTube video or on the Facebook video. Would love to hear your thoughts and uh, really just about the whole topic in general. I, I love interacting with the audience about these things. So uh, definitely let me know what you guys think. But coming up next on the show is my conversation with actress Victoria Gordon. She's here to talk about her new web series called Pilot Season, which was filmed in a very unique and creative way that was brought on due to COVID-19. But I'll let her explain how that was done. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this segment. Now stay tuned for my conversation with actress Victoria Gordon. Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. And joining me this week is actress, writer, and really all around very talented individual, Miss Victoria Gordon. How are you? I'm doing fine. How about you? Doing good. We were just actually talking about kind of comparing, you know, because we're, we're coming up now on really a year since the country kind of shut down due to the, the pandemic. So it's it's been crazy to see what's been happening, you know, over the course of the last 12 months, you being in LA and me being in Florida. No. And I mean, I kept yesterday, I told this story a few times Um, on March 10th of last year, I went out, I ran some errands and I was like kind of low energy and I had a show coming up a live show two weeks later. So I said, I'm going to lay low for the next two weeks and I'm just going to stay home and relax and focus on my show. And two weeks turned into the next 11 months. So it's, it's definitely beginning to wear on me. It's been crazy to hear the stories of, you know, it's almost like when 9-11 happened, like everyone knows exactly where they were when that took place. And with COVID, it's like, I'm curious to know what everybody was doing when they found out. Because I I had a a stunt coordinator on my show a couple of months ago, and he was actually in a production. And his choreography was only supposed to take, I think, three days. But then the producer was like, oh, do you think you can do it all today? And he's like, well, we're, are we shutting everything down? He's like, well, we're not for sure yet, but we just want to be safe. And then sure enough, the next day, everything was shut down. No, I mean, I was with, so that was, I guess, like a Tuesday. And then I was with my walking buddy who I used to walk with her like three or four times a week. And suddenly it's declared a global pandemic and that ended our walks. And I mean, I still walk all the time, but we don't walk together. And I mean, it's just crazy to think we figured, oh, we'd be home for like a couple weeks. And, you know, we do some puzzles or whatever. And now, 11 months later, this is just the norm, which is actually kind of scary how easily we've adjusted to this being normal. But at the same time, I'm trying to look for the good. That's horrible to say, because I know that this has been a really hard time. And I mean, we've lost family friends and my mom knows someone who lost both his parents to COVID within days of each other. I mean, it's been a really scary time, but I'm trying to look at some of the good that's come out of this in terms of, you know, personal growth and being good to other people and developing experiences where we can help each other. I mean, it's the least I can do. I'm not a healthcare worker. I don't have that experience, but I try to do what I can to help other people because this has been, it's unprecedented. That's all I can say. Well, I'm curious to know how have you adjusted career wise due to the pandemic? Cause I know you mentioned you were doing live shows. How have you adjusted your career since then? Well, here's what happened. I had a live show scheduled for March 22nd last year which is Steven Sondheim's birthday. And that was his 90th birthday. So I had this 90th birthday show planned and it was going to be amazing. And that got canceled. So I decided really quickly, Hey, I know how to use Twitch. I'm going to do a show on Twitch. And I did five songs instead of the 20 I was going to do live. 
And so then I started contacting people who had seen that and said, Hey, if I did a few more of these, would you watch? And they said, Oh yeah, we're home anyway. Why not? So I scheduled shows every other week through April and May. And I remember saying when I put up the schedule, Oh, you guys won't even be watching by May. By May you'll be off doing whatever you're doing. And I'll be doing these shows for myself. Of course, again, didn't happen that way. So I scheduled them all through the summer. Um, that got a little bit difficult to keep up because I was doing new shows every other week with all new music, all new material. And it was just a lot. So I decided to put the brakes on and do something a little different. And I did a Halloween special and a Christmas special, which were very different from what I had done before and a ton of fun too. So now I'm working on this pilot series that I'm doing. It's called pilot season. It's five pilots over five weeks. Each is a different sitcom pilot with a new cast. And that is also going to be done all, everything's been recorded via zoom um, from the comfort of the actors on homes, which I think is actually a really interesting way to do it. And I have just used this opportunity to become the queen of Zoom. Yeah, I'm curious to see how that will look because I, I watched a, a short film not too long ago where the entire thing was filmed you know, via Zoom. And the way they did it was pretty clever because it was like, you know, different characters talking about this other character that you never actually see on screen. So it's like their uh -huh. interactions with him. Then they log off. Then the laptop shuts then it opens back up. You log back on. They, you know, talk to expand the story and everything. So I'm curious to to see, you know, how that turns out because it sounds like a really cool idea. Well, thanks. We're having a good time. We filmed the first two of five episodes, um, and we're in the middle of production, so we've got three more to film, and they've come out really well. People are great at this, and we've worked around tech issues and figuring it out. And I'm I'm excited to see the finished episodes come together. And I'm curious to see, like, how how has the process been of making it? Because you know, it sounds a, pretty drastically different than you know, having someone over to run camera and do lights, have grips <laughs> and everything like that. So how how has that adjustment been? Well, let me just start by giving the actors some credit. They are all very good when it comes to their own lighting, their own sound, their own everything. So they're they've done a really good job. I'm very impressed. For us, I mean, everything has just been virtual. Casting is all online. Um, we've done auditions over Zoom, we've done self-tapes, we've done a little bit of everything, but nothing obviously in person. Directing and everything all happens over Zoom. Any rehearsing is over Zoom. Um, the one thing that is pretty much the same, although the content is different, is the editing. My sister is an editor and she's editing my shows for me. She's amazing. And she has all the footage and she just edits it together. But the difference is instead of having multiple cameras, multiple angles, she's got a wide shot and a close-up. And the wide shot is Zoom gallery view and the close-up is pinned. So it's just a very different set of variables we're working with, but it's coming together. And I think, well, I can't see it replacing real television with people in on sets doing things. I think it's a good stopgap. Yeah. I, I think if we were to become zoom exclusive with things like that, like the, the appeal of it and the look would just become normal. Like with what you're doing, it's going to be different and cool because it's being made in a different way if that became the norm, then there wouldn't be anything special about it. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said, part of what made entertainment in terms of screen entertainment, so exciting stage entertainment too. I'll give them both that is the, the difference. You get to watch something that's different. It might be very realistic, but it's being drawn into a new world and we're doing our best to draw you into the world. But I really hope that someday we can be doing this on real sets and build the entire experience for you. I'm sure it'll be incorporated in some way because you know the, oh. the the culture has been you know not just entertainment but just the world in general has been completely changed 
by this whole thing. So I, I think we'll definitely see if it's used in, you know, certain situations and the right situations, then I, I think it can be a new dynamic that is actually really cool. Oh, definitely. And I think there's a lot to be said for incorporating this part of it into regular production. I mean, even not necessarily shooting actors this way, although I think it can be done. I keep saying, and I could be very wrong, but I think casting is going to go mostly virtual. I think you're going to see a lot more self-tape first rounds. You're going to see, once you get past the self-tape, you might do a Zoom audition. If you go to an office, it'll probably be a big deal to go to like the producer's office or something. I think it's just going to change how we put things together. I think writer's rooms, that one I think is a bit of a loss, but I think a lot of writer's rooms will stay virtual. I think it's just changing how we work, but that's true in every industry. I mean, I've heard that like 30% of business travel will no longer exist, which sounds crazy, but at the same time, it makes sense. I think we've all learned how to adapt to this kind of setting. So this is the future. I mean, it's the present, but it's also the future. And it's curi I'm curious to see how once we can go places, it all shakes down. I recently wrapped up a, a two day, it's like a leadership type conference for my work. And, you know, in years past, it's been in person. We go off site for two days, but after COVID hit, we switched to a virtual platform and we're talking about keeping that because it's just so much easier to do because you can do it from home. You can do it from your office. You can really do it wherever. So it's, it's definitely, it's definitely changed a lot of things. Well, there are trade-offs. There's the positive for like a business. It's a cost savings. You don't have to go mm -hmm. somewhere. You save time, money, effort. That's great. But then on the flip side, you have the tourism industry. And suddenly if everyone says, well, we can just do it over Zoom, we don't need to do conferences. That's airlines losing money. That's hotels losing money. That's tourist attractions losing money. So it's, it's a balance. And it's about figuring out how to balance it out so that people can save money and businesses can save money, but also we don't kill whole industries while we're doing it. So I'm curious, really, I am fascinated to see what happens. And I think we have a front row seat now for one of the biggest shifts in modern history. We had one already. I mean, the internet, the shift to the internet itself was a massive disruption. So this is our second big disruption. And I'm looking forward to seeing what stays and what goes. And hopefully the thing that goes is COVID, but that's another story. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. So I'm curious because you, you mentioned that pilot season is five episodes with five different, is it different genres of pilots no, per episode? they're all comedy pilots, but they're all different kinds of comedy. So we okay. open with a multi-cam, which is like a traditional multi-family, multi-camera family sitcom. Um, then we have a couple of single cams, but they're all different in tone. And then we end with a bit of a dramedy. It's definitely comedic, but it has a little more bite and a little bit more tension than the three single cams. Okay. Now that, that actually sounds, that sounds really cool. Now it's, I love little anthology series like that. And plus also the like, kind of story within stories. Like I like movies about the process of filmmaking, you know, whether well, it's you comedy or up. drama. You're going to love our fifth episode. The fifth episode, Fame Adjacent, is about an actress who has always, she's never quite at the level of success she wanted. She's always worked, but she's never really been famous. And she's coming to grips with the fact that her daughter is now going to be a series regular on a popular TV show. And so it's sort of balancing her maternal love, her friendship with her daughter, her feelings about her own career. So it's like, that's the Hollywood send up episode. You know, that's that one. But we got a little bit of everything. We've got, like I said, the traditional family sitcom, which is a satire of family sitcoms. We've got um, a high school based show, but it's for adults. We've got one in Antarctica. The show takes place in Antarctica. So that one, I'm really excited. We're shooting that next week. And we've got one that is kind of like a spiritual successor to, um, Arrested Development, Schitt's Creek, Soap, all those shows. So we've got a little bit of everything. And I mean, 
to what's cool to me is having written all these shows, seeing them come to life with the actors is always a blast. And seeing it this way is great because we're not distracted by 30 other things. We're just on a Zoom, everyone's reading, and it's wonderful to watch. No, I'm excited to see it, I, definitely, because I, I, like I said, I love little little series like that, especially like, you know, showing pilots for sitcoms and a little bit of the behind the scenes process too. So that's, that's really cool. I, I'm excited to see it. Thanks. So, me too. <laughs> so to, uh, to backtrack a little bit, uh, how was it that you know, you initially found out that you wanted to be an on-screen performer? Was it something that you, know, you knew from an early age? Well, I knew I wanted to be in theater from the time I was about 10. But I was always a big fan of sitcoms. And when I was about 12 years old, Seinfeld started playing on TBS in the afternoons after school. And I would watch. And the thing that really struck me was that, as you can see, I have very curly hair. And Elaine has gorgeous curls. And it was never a conversation. It was never like, oh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus can't be pretty because she has curly hair. But unfortunately, as a lot of curly-haired women will tell you, a lot of curly-haired children get that message, that there is something unattractive about having curls or that you have to have straight hair to be considered pretty or successful or good-looking or whatever. So for me, Elaine was a huge game-changer, and Julia Louis-Dreyfus in general, with her embracing her curls, was a huge game-changer. And I realized that I really wanted to be on a sitcom. I wanted to be on something hilarious that made people laugh and think and over time I've expanded my view of how I see it but that was a big moment for me when I was about 12 so that's when I realized I wanted to be on screen. It's funny you mentioned that you know you knew that you wanted to be a part of something funny and make people laugh that's one of the appeals of film and tv is having that escape and providing that source of you know entertainment and a, a way for people to maybe forget about their problems for a couple of hours. So that that's, that's cool. Definitely. And one thing I've learned over time is that I love doing comedy. That's my favorite, but as a singer and as a performer, I don't always get to do funny stuff. There's plenty of non funny. And what I appreciate about that is that I get a chance to make people feel something like during this pandemic, my family and I watched the good wife um, with my other sort of person that I get hearkened to occasionally, which is Juliana Margulies, another curly haired brunette. And, um, I just appreciated that that show made us feel and maybe it wasn't always good feelings. Maybe sometimes it was depressing or frustrating, but it was not about being in our lives, about following someone else's life, even if it was fake. I mean, fake actually makes it better. So being part of this very realistic feeling, but not real world was important to me as an artist to really understand how much I wanted to be part of something that made people feel, just get them in touch with something inside them. And so while I, comedy is my focus, I appreciate that there is a lot more out there and that there's so much that a performer can do to give people that feeling. So once you knew that, you know, because you said you knew you wanted to be in theater, how did you eventually make the transition into doing film and TV? Oh, well, that was actually a really easy thing because um, I realized that as a child living in LA, I wasn't going to be in theater anytime soon. So I figured I have two options. I either wait until I'm 18 and do nothing, or I go for what's here now and figure it out later. So I went with that route and I'm glad I did because I still want to be in theater someday, but I'm still in LA and LA is really a TV and film town. There is theater here and it's an incredible indie theater scene that I love, but my focus has really been on screen performance since then. And of course doing live singing shows, which has been a blast. So do you think growing up around Los Angeles and seeing the 
you know, all the different opportunities that were available. Do you, do you think that helped? Interesting question, because the thing is, like I joke, my parent, the last thing my parents wanted was an actor's daughter, like dead last thing. So they even at one point said no working till you're 18. That changed when my dad took me to a friend's acting class and I wowed his friend, the coach, who was like, why is your kid not working? My dad was even shocked. He was like, I didn't realize you were that good an actress. So that was really lovely. But I just think that growing up here made me realize that it's not all glamorous. It's not all, you know, like I was, where was I? I was somewhere, I think it was in Italy and I was talking to a woman and there was a celebrity of some sort staying at our hotel. And she said, but you must see celebrities every day. You live in Los Angeles. And I'm like, nope, I really don't. So I knew it wasn't all fame and fortune and success. And as I joke, swimming pools and movie stars. And I think that actually made me more aware of what I was getting myself into. That's interesting because uh, so many people that I talk to who live in L.A. are never from there. They're either from you know, maybe like Chicago or Georgia, New York, Pennsylvania. Very rarely do I actually get to meet with somebody like, oh, yeah, I, I grew up there. That's awesome. Well, what's cool is my family is really here. My grandmothers both moved here as children, one in 1922 and the other in the early 30s. And my grandfathers moved out after the war. Both my parents were born here. My uncles were born here. And my sister, my cousin, and I were born here. I mean, it's just our family is very much here. So my sister and I went to college and we started meeting people who weren't from here. And they were always shocked to meet people from L.A. But we're like, we grew up with people. It's not like we grew up alone. Like there were other people we grew up with who all grew up in L.A. So it's very funny to us that that's, I know it's very weird, but at the same time, it never seemed weird until we were adults and realized that there were people flocking here who weren't from here. Yeah, that's the thing is you have so many people who move out there to try to, you know, make it in film or make it in TV that you you hear those stories and it's not too often that you hear of someone who's like, oh yeah, I, you know, I grew up here. So I mean, I'm sure it's just like if someone moved to Pensacola, I'd be like, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I grew up here. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why, I mean, to us, it was just normal. And our par the parents having grown up here is a little bit different because they were growing up here in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And that was a very different time in L.A. Or like when my grandmother moved here in 1922, she was three, about to turn four. That was the Wild West. I mean, that was they were living in a completely different world than this one. And in fact, what's kind of funny is about two years ago, some family friends came and visited from New York and the son had never been to LA until he came to visit us like four years ago. And then the wife had never been to LA until she came to visit us. But the dad was really resistant because he had been to LA so many times in the eighties and didn't see any reason to come here. So finally he came on this trip two years ago with his family. And he said, this city is completely like, he's looking around. He's like, that wasn't there. That wasn't there. Like it was a whole new city to him. So LA has really, boomed even recently and it's a cool place i'm not gonna lie it's a pretty cool place yeah no i i very much enjoyed it the I, i've been out there twice and uh it, it's it's a really cool place you know, as someone who grew up a fan of movies and tv you know i can remember watching shows like full house that took place in like san francisco and be like that that side of the country looks really cool i want to go there one day so when the opportunity presented itself you know, it, it was, it's really cool. If no one's been to LA, I, I highly recommend you at least go visit because there's a lot of cool things to do. Oh, absolutely. But I would also advise you to look beyond just the traditional, like going to Hollywood Boulevard or checking out Rodeo Drive and really explore some of the more artistic areas in Silver Lake and, you know, go to Santa Monica, do things that are a little off the beaten path because there's a lot to see here. 
yeah, my girlfriend and I went out to to L.A. Well, we stayed right outside of San Diego because her her best friend lives out there, and um, we went to Santa Monica and saw one of the best sunsets I think either of us have ever seen. Oh, the sunsets can't be beat. And I mean, when it's in normal times and the Santa Monica Pier is open, going out there for the sunset is stunning. Absolutely. So, you know, knowing that you wanted to be an actor from an early age or in growing up, as you said, an actor's daughter, um, did you learn any valuable lessons early on when you decided this was what you wanted to do? And if so, what were they? Well, my dad was a TV director. My mom's not in the industry and my okay. grandfather was a writer. So I think I learned a lot of lessons from watching their careers about how I wanted to do things. And I think I also might have learned a lot by being a little bit, you know, too confident in what I was doing and being pulled back as a child. But the big thing that I learned was that this isn't just fun and games. There's a lot of work that goes into every single part of this. And when we look at a movie, if you just watch the movie, you think, oh, it's all in the actors. Maybe you think the director's involved. Maybe you think the writers to an extent. But there are so many people watch the credits of a movie sometime. I mean, there can be hundreds or thousands even on like animated features of people who work on these movies and they all play a significant role in getting the final product to the screen. So I think I learned a lot about what else was going on beyond just my part or what I wanted my part to be. And I think that gave me a sense of just gratitude for being able to do what I do because so many people do so many different things and each person is a cog in the wheel. So I like being part of that. And I think that watching that from this side, I learned a lot. You took the words right out of my mouth. I use that analogy, cog in the machine, quite a bit. Because there are so many, and I even call them thankless jobs in the industry. Because everyone thinks of you know the actors, the directors. Sometimes if you're like a John Williams or a Hans Zimmer, a composer will get some love. But from producers to PAs, grips, animators, so many moving parts that, don't really get talked about. Oh, totally. And I mean, some of those people have really pivotal, significant jobs. I mean, even thinking down to like hair and makeup and wardrobe and props and location scouts and set decorators. I mean, these people create the entire world. And yes, the actors are a big part of that, but they're just one piece of the puzzle. And I think a lot of people are surprised to learn that it's not mostly the actors doing it. It's the actors come in and they have their specific part, which is the role that you see on the screen, but everything it takes to get them there is huge. For sure. So once things start to resume, what we hope will be some type of normalcy, uh, are there any other upcoming projects after pilot season that, that you hope to do? Do you have any other writing projects in the works? Well, I'll be doing some singing shows. So those will be available online. I'm that I'll tell you the truth on that one. I don't know when we'll be in real theaters again. I'm not sure what that's going to look like. I'm not sure when that'll be. So I'm grateful to have the opportunity to use Twitch. And I'm also on sessions, which is another music app and put shows out, even though I may not set foot in the theater again for a very long time, which just saying it is kind of a bummer. But um, then the next goal is to continue to make film projects. So whether that looks like a short film done over Zoom or whether we can actually like gather as people and do something like I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens next. But the focus right now is on, I, I've kind of changed my focus. I used to be the kind of person, because I'm a planner, I would set annual goals and I'd wait every year for like goal setting. But then I read a book last year after the lockdown started called the 12 week year. And the idea is you set goals for a 12 week period and you work towards those goals in that 12 week period. And then the next 12 week period, you set new goals. And I've been trying to use that because I think 12 weeks is about as far as I can imagine during this pandemic. 
I, I just can't see. I mean, like I remember sitting down at the beginning of this year and thinking, there's no way I can set your loan goals. I had a hard enough time setting my budget because I was like, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do by the end of the year. So I'm trying to take things in sort of quarterly chunks. And the next goal is to do some singing shows and connect with that audience too. So we'll see. That's smart though. Uh, you said it was called the 12 week year. 12 week year. Highly recommend. No, that, that's, that's smart. That's really smart. Cause so many, so much can change, you know, COVID aside, a lot can change in a year. A lot can change in six months. Yeah. So that's no, the smart. No. And I think we've really seen now firsthand, like we can't rely on the idea that, Oh, if we start a plan at the beginning of the year, by the end of the year, that plan is still going to make sense. Or if, we set a budget at the beginning of the year by the end of, I mean, I looked at my budget for last year to try to set this year's budget and it was a joke. I mean, where I spent my money completely changed from where I thought it would be to where it wound up being. So this year when I set my budget, I was like, I got to rethink this completely. And I'm the kind of person who's very organized with like spreadsheets and like each item that I could possibly like individual gifts for people down to like the dollar amounts I'm going to spend on individual gifts. I'm generous just in case anyone was curious. Um, <laughs> not stingy, but at the same time, I was like, I can't be this precise with my budgeting. I have to give myself a little more breathing room because what if suddenly I can travel somewhere? What if I can't travel anywhere? Well, then I save some money. But the point is I had to really rethink my ultra organized super planner kind of methods. And I think we're all seeing right now that that's basically life at this point. And hopefully that'll change. But even when it does change, I don't know that we're all going to be so quick to snap back to sort of a constant on a treadmill for a plan that lasts one year, five years, 10 years, whatever. I don't think that's going to be realistic anymore. Well, and that's one positive thing that, that I take away from this whole pandemic is that beforehand, everything was just moving so fast that it kind of caused everybody or forced everybody to kind of step back and I don't know, reevaluate yourself is one thing. You know, I, I think the, also the increased awareness of mental health during this has oh. been a huge positive. It, I mean, I just, I remember in the early days of the pandemic taking a break. And I actually said to someone last night, if I had known that after about two or three weeks, people would start to get with the program and start using Zoom and planning meetings again, I would have enjoyed those two weeks off so much more because now that we're all back in a swing, things are really moving. But there was a time I would drive around LA. And for those who know Los Angeles, I would take drives like to Hollywood Boulevard um, or other very crowded areas and just park my car like essentially in the middle of the road and take photos because it was empty. Wow. It was surreal. I have amazing photos of like Grumman's with no one in front of it and like Hollywood and Highland with nobody there, no performers on Hollywood Boulevard. Like it was just unreal. And we really were forced to put the brakes on our lives for a little bit. Things are picking up in a certain way now. Obviously they haven't gone back to normal by any stretch and I don't think they'll ever go back to what we thought of as normal again. But we definitely pivoted. And on some level, I kind of wish we had all valued that time where we were waiting a little more. For sure. So as we start to wrap up here, I, I like to ask this question to, to end the show. What is one piece of advice that you could give uh, to an aspiring filmmaker? I would say don't be afraid. Don't wait for someone to tell you you can do it. You have a phone. You have the Internet. Make a film. doesn't have to be good. doesn't have to be your ultimate vision but it gives you a chance to try. And once you try, try again, and then try again and get more sophisticated and stronger with each film you make or each project you do. And take advantage of the fact that you live in an era where you don't need thousands of dollars of equipment and connections at television networks and friends at studios. 
you got a phone and you got YouTube. Go for it. I love that. And I've mentioned this before too, that yeah, if you make something say as simple as, you know, using your phone to make a film, will it be that great? Chances are probably not, but you're going to learn something from it. And then when you do it again, you can use that lesson to make it a little bit better. And then for that one, you'll learn something too. And you just keep getting better and learning more lessons as you go. So that that's great advice. Totally. And I just think we're lucky. We live in an era where you can do that. So why not take advantage? And uh, do you have any website or social media that you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you? Sure. So you can check out my website, which is thevictoriagordon.com. And if you want to follow along with pilot season, we are on Instagram at TV, the letters TV, pilot season. Fantastic. Well, Victoria, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. This was great. Thank you. It was great to be here. Thanks again to Victoria Gordon for coming on the show to discuss pilot season. Be sure to follow their Instagram page at TV pilot season to find out when you can expect new episodes. And also thank you to those who submitted your uh, favorite black films list. That was a really uh, enlightening topic to discuss here on the podcast. And hopefully you guys enjoyed it as much as I had doing it. But next week is episode 300 of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. And I'll be doing a special live show this upcoming Tuesday on Facebook Live, facebook.com slash Podcast. We're going to start at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. I'll be chatting with actor Brian O'Halloran, who you know as Dante Hicks from the Clerks films. I also am going to discuss my top five moments in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and WandaVision. I'll be discussing uh, WandaVision predictions for the finale and the latest news in entertainment. So it's going to be a fun, jam-packed show. Hopefully you guys can stop by. And also, if you want to leave your list for top five MCU moments, just go once again to facebook.com slash Podcast, and you can leave your list there. But until then, you can check out past episodes on the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your fine podcasts for free. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And if you could, please leave a review. Uh, the more reviews I get, the more visible I become to the podcasting public. So that would help out tremendously if you could do that. The shows are also on YouTube. Uh, just search for uh, Derek Diamond. It's under my personal page. Thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out all their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show, so enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here this Tuesday on Facebook Live. <laughs>